Your call has been forwarded to an automated voice messaging system. Some days you still hope, though. Hello, welcome to Out of Love, the show where we try to make sense of love in hopes of better relationships, bettering ourselves, and in my case, being a better wedding officiant. My name is Dan Casarella, and on today's show, my friend Chris. There are people in your life that you distinctly remember who you were before you met them and who you became after you met them. And one of those people is my good friend, Winnie. Winnie and I worked together when I first moved to Los Angeles, and she is one of the most caring people in the world. Here are just some some examples. One, once I was insecure that I wasn't getting enough skincare, and Winnie sent me a whole package of moisturizers, sunscreen, a lot of good stuff, and a handwritten note how to take care of my skincare routine. Another thing, I was feeling kind of sad during the pandemic. Winnie organized a Zoom Devil Wears Prada watch party, which is my favorite movie and my favorite movie to talk about. She's always been such a caring, supportive person in my life, and she introduced me to one of the biggest influences in my life, her boyfriend, Chris. I didn't know Chris for very long, but his presence in my life impacted me greatly, and Though it was a short time, I would be a completely different person on a different path had I not known him. And I am for the better because he was in my life. I thought the world of him. He was incredibly kind. And even if you didn't know him well, he made you feel special and individualized. And he can really discuss what was going on with you in a way that you thought you'd be friends for years. Chris unexpectedly passed away last year. And it was incredibly shocking and hard to process. And one of the things I always wanted to do having this show was to talk about Chris. And I wanted to tell the story of him and Winnie and their relationship and the special effect he had on her, me, and everyone he knew. So Winnie was very gracious to sit down with me and talk about Chris how they got together and how that relationship was earned, the hardships they went through, Chris's love, and the legacy he left behind. So here's Winnie and I talking about our beloved Chris. I'm very excited to talk about our beloved Chris. I met Chris, I was walking to our friend Sakaro's Christmas party. And Sakaro lived in Los Angeles, lived in a terrible area. One, because it was dark. Two, because there was no parking. Yes, never. So I parked like half a mile away from his house for his Christmas party. And I'm walking to his house and a car drives by. Yeah. Very bold voice just goes, Dan. And I was like, oh, that must be one of my friends. And I turn and I see this big guy with horn rim glasses. And he like looks at me. Clearly, he was the one who called my name. And I had never seen this man before. And the two... (laughs) Thoughts that came in my mind were, I'm about to get kidnapped because people are always kidnapping 25-year-old white men. (laughs) Or, oh my God, did I meet this person and completely forget who they are? Mm -hmm. Luckily, it was just you telling him to call my name out. Then I met Chris and we, I remember like 
just only talking to him at that party. He was like the only person I was engaged with at all. And then my feet hurt and I went home. I'm curious though, because I don't even know this story, but how did you and Chris meet? It was the end of 2015. I had just broken up with a man that was never right for me, but I tried to make it work because I thought my mom would love him. So I thought, hey, I got out of this relationship. I'm going to go on the rebound. I go on Tinder like every millennial trying to get a booty call. So I'm (laughs) on Tinder. Everyone's horrible. don't want to talk to any of these men and i get a super like if they super like you, you you can instantly talk to them you don't have to wait for them to like you back back in the day i think you just get one super like yeah you have to pay for other ones but then this guy he his profile picture it's just him and then bubbles all around him and i was like oh that's kind of interesting but also god that's thirsty and then I read his profile and at the time he was working at Vice and I also wanted to work at Vice (laughs) so I was like if nothing I can like get a job application through to him yeah a little nookie in networking I was ready to keep it clean and just like network on Tinder (laughs) then I read his profile and he talks about the beehive came for him Mm -hmm. and he's like ask me about it (laughs) the beehive being beyonce's fans so he piqued my interest and i remember getting a message from him and he's like hi how are you you know that normal stuff and i went straight in and being like did you buy super likes (laughs) 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 and he was like no, like, I used my super like on you. And I was like, okay. And then I said, hey, um, so what's this Beyonce story? What's this beehive story? And he tells me how he did a doc a couple of years ago on bounce music and, and the culture out in uh, New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And Beyonce had just dropped Formation. She hadn't dropped her whole album yet, Lemonade. And that video came out and everyone was like, oh my God, there's snippets of his doc that he produced and co-directed in that music video. And they didn't credit them. They didn't pay him. Nothing happened. And so he came out and he called her out and called the director of of the music video out. They never responded to him, but the Beehive did and literally came after him on Twitter, flooded his whole thing, called him horrible names, said he was a misogynist because he didn't support Black women, which I don't think that's true. I think he just wanted credit. The Beehive, by the way, the most, wouldn't you say, intense fan base of any type? Definitely. I mean, I can't think of another fan base that goes that hard for their girl there's like the oakland raiders fans in the 1980s who were like punching out other football fans and then like the beehive they're pretty much neck and neck right i remember looking it up because i didn't believe him and so we started texting he was mm-hmm. like hey do you want to meet up blah 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 i kept tabling it because i I was really just starting on my career and and everything. And I honestly thought this was just going to be a a fling. Fast forward, we met up for the first time ever. He's like, hey, let's meet at this bar, this local bar. I told him, hey, I'm going to be a few minutes late. And he's like, okay, great. 
I get there a few minutes late and that man is still not there. <laughs> and I walk in and don't see him. I see like old dudes drinking sadly at a dive bar. He rushes in a few minutes after me and he's like, the Warriors were playing. And I was like, it's fine, whatever. We start talking. Like we grab a drink and then we just start talking. And it was kind of immediate where we just talked about everything mm-hmm. and nothing and like really got into like family and our backgrounds and everything it, it just was such a natural progression this sounds so corny but at that moment i remember being like wow i have never connected with someone so seamlessly and so quickly and so we go outside and or we're continuing our conversation and he says this corny line. I just remember it's corny. I can't remember what it is. He does this like really corny thing where he like brushed my hair back. Did it work? Uh, I mean, we made out like. <laughs> so it worked. <laughs> I was just so surprised because usually, at least in LA, men first night they want to be like hey you want to come back to my apartment or like you know want to go back to your place he didn't do that after we Mm -hmm. made out he was like this was really great let's do it again did that take you back yeah (laughs) and I just wanted to like know him more because he was interesting he also was funny and he was exciting he was Mm -hmm. fun he texted me a few days later and was like I had a great time Let's do it again. Uh, And we planned a date, like, I think a week after. And he's like, change of plans. My friend is in town. And they have box seats to the Kings. And he's like, do you want to go to that instead? And I was like, "Uh, I mean, sure. Whatever. I was like, cool. I can talk to anyone. It'll be fine. He and I go in meet his friend who looked very familiar to me and I didn't know who he was walked us up to the box seats and it's band members of Portugal the man oh yeah I was just surprised because I thought it was just like you know the homies yeah you don't go on a date to an LA Kings box game and think oh look I'm going to be watching hockey with Portugal the man and after that we just kept keeping in contact with each other we were like yeah let's give it a shot he leaves vice and he's like i'm gonna go on tour with portugal the man i've been in relationships with men in bands who go on tour and at least for me it didn't really work out yeah there's a lot of distractions on tour to put it politely exactly it was such a new relationship i just wanted to explore it a little bit more Yeah, you don't know what he is like on the road, too, because you don't know that side of him yet. Exactly. But we had a conversation, and he promised me up and down the ladder um, and and just assured me nothing's going to happen. I understand your worries. If you give me your word, you haven't done anything to, like, cause distrust, so... I'm going to trust you. And that was like a huge step for me personally, growing up in a household where infidelity was 
a huge thing. I just didn't want that. He went on tour. He would like check in every day. I kept working. Everything was actually going really well too. And he would just tell me about his day (laughs) and I was fine with it. So this is end of June, early July. Things start getting weird. There's something in my gut that doesn't sit right. He's feeling distant and he wouldn't tell me anything. And then he's like, I'm just going to see you when you get home. Everything's fine. It took a lot of coaxing and also a friend at the time telling me that he saw Chris and another woman at a restaurant. And I was like, oh, cool. Great. Cool. Long story short, he fucked up. Yeah. And he cheated. And really, if I'm being honest, it fucking broke my heart. More than that, it was his indecisiveness and his, I guess, just how he handled it. He wanted me to stay. And he's like, give me a minute. I want to make this work. And for me, again, like coming from a household filled with just drama and and infidelity, I didn't want to put myself through it. And I didn't Mm -hmm. want to do that. So I broke up with him. It took me a really long time to recover. I remember Portugal the Man came on the show I was working at where I was like in the green room. And you were like, you should be mean to them. I was like, I'm not definitely not going to do that. That's me being bad at my job. (laughs) No, my God. But but that is obviously not where things end. I I knew that I knew there was obviously a break because we were friends during that. But I, I'm curious, right. what was the between the break and that sort of sense of betrayal? How did you get back together? And then from everything I witnessed, it was such a very pure, loving relationship. Like it, it right. really felt like there was a power and an energy to that. Yeah. It was really one-sided because I refused to give him any of my time, but he always checked in on me. And ultimately, he just wanted me to know that he did a bad thing and he's not a bad person, but I didn't believe that. Like, And also, I was young and I was angry. I started going into therapy in 2018. I just wanted to become healthier. I didn't want to carry so much baggage with me all the time. We tried being friends after that happened. I didn't speak to him for a really long time until I want to say like the end of the year in in 2017. We go and grab pizza. Ew, you got LA pizza? <laughs> yeah. You really wanted to be like, I hate you. Let's get pizza <laughs> in Los Angeles. Here's the thing. I didn't want to do anything that was too messy personally pizza's not messy like food wise or emotionally well both but mainly food at that point i'm in a relationship and he's Mm -hmm. still in his old relationship and um he he and i just kind of pick up where we left off like Mm -hmm. in a friend way um and it was nice and it was sweet and he does this thing where he's like gives me a hug too long, kisses me on the forehead, tries giving me a kiss. And again, one, I'm never going to do that to my partner. And I'm never going to put myself in a position where, you know, my partner feels betrayed. I shut it down immediately and also told him 
I don't think we can do this anymore. Like, Mm -hmm. clearly, you have unresolved feelings, and I'm trying to move forward. And unless you change how you are, this is the last time we'll see each other. What was the the point that that gave you clarity that that things changed? Because it it seems pretty definitive that this was not going to work out, that you had issues with him and his behavior, and you were looking forward, not behind. So what happened in your relationship to change that perspective? One, it was work on myself. It was in 2018, like March, that I started therapy. And it was this progression of understanding myself a little bit better, also working on my self-worth. It was April where I think I posted something on like my stories on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it was a thirst trap. I don't know. Um, we love a thirst trap on Out of Love. I mean, you you and me both. Never the trapper, always the trappy, I'll say for myself. <laughs> no, you got to be the trapper. I don't got a lot to trap with. I mean, we can work with whatever you got. He took that chance to reach out to me. His birthday rolls around. And I remember I had a session with my therapist. And there's this moment of, I don't want all of this resentment. I don't want all of this. Like, it was just so exhausting to hold on to it. And I wish him a, ha- a happy birthday, a uh, belated birthday. Mm-hmm. And he then asked me to go watch Bo Burnham's eighth grade as a birthday present. <laughs> and I was like, um, fine. I didn't have high hopes for it. The movie or for this hangout session. One, because I'm not particularly a fan of Bo Burnham. <laughs> and two I just felt like it was gonna be the same thing all over again he was still that same person or at least I pegged him as that same person I remember showing up and he wasn't late (laughs) that man was usually always late he was waiting on me and uh I remember giving him a hug we watched the movie everything's fine he didn't make a move it was great I was wrong Bo Burnham did great. Um, it was a fantastic film. Movie. Yes, I I was pleasantly surprised. We dissected um, after the movie. And there's this little bench right next to the theater. And we just parked ourselves to, uh, and, and started talking about the film and how great it was and all of these things. And then one thing led to another in our conversation where he just very seriously like apologized and it's not that he didn't apologize in the past but I just never believed him in the past because it was always him saying I'm sorry but like there was always an excuse after it Mm -hmm. and then it was that day in August that he fully apologized and he did it in a way that I finally believed him and he was actually sorry. And I don't know what it was. It, it was just genuine. I remember we just kept talking. And he told me, I'm not the same person I was two years ago. I took some time to think. 
he's like, I haven't been with anyone. I really took this time to think about like what I want X, Y, and Z. And he's like, I want to have another chance at this. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't convinced. And I told him all the reasons why it's not going to work. It was me listing a slew of reasons. And then he retorted and gave me all the reasons why it would work. And it was just this back and forth. I remember him saying that was wrong and that's not going to happen again. And him telling me how he has clarity in terms of what he finally wants. Because mm-hmm. at the time when I met him, he, he was 32 years old. And I mean, for me, I thought 32 meant you have lived a life where you have learned a lot of lessons in your 20s. But he did not. And he's <laughs> like, I've always been a late bloomer. And him just saying, I want to get help. That was a really big breaking point for me. Mm-hmm. Like, because I saw how therapy helped me. And for him to say, I want to get help, like, as in, I want to go into therapy and figure out my own shit. Like, Mm -hmm. that, for whatever reason, was very attractive. We stayed until three in the morning talking. And it ended with me telling him, the ball is in your court. It gave me freedom to feel... Like I was in power for the first time in our relationship. Cause for the longest time, it felt like he had this power and the dynamic was just off. Cause there was no balance. And when that happened, I remember walking away, not like, Oh, I'm going to get back with this person. But it was just me feeling forgiveness for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I forgive him. I, I feel good now. I'm so much lighter. He continued doing that. Like he just continued showing up in a very genuine, I want to be there for you because I care about you. And that's as simple as that. And that's one of the special things about Chris. And I think he, he, for the experience that he he put you through and the hardship he put you through, I think mm-hmm. you would agree throughout that entire time you knew him he's a very genuine person you know one of the things i always admired about chris was his belief and confidence in himself to do whatever he felt right because and and correct me if if i have any of this incorrect Mm -hmm. he graduated college with a degree in political science yes and then he immediately after college went to work with children with special needs yes and didn't really pursue poli sci he kind of was like when when yeah. my time comes when i have the project i want to work on i'll get there and then does all these incredible things from making music videos and short films to we talked about how he was the hype man for portugal the man really carved his own path and was successful at having a path that was unconventional and so that speaks very much to his special ability of knowing himself even for when it's flawed and even when he's wrong. Right. And being able to connect with others. Right. And the ability to change, like when something doesn't, isn't right. Like going deeper into biography, he went to college, got a poli sci degree. He wanted, he told me like, he thought he wanted to be in politics. 
another thing with getting a college degree was something that his parents wanted him to do. And Mm -hmm. he fulfilled it in the way that he honored both his parents and what he wanted to do at the time. But he realized that politics wasn't for him. He then spent 10 years in education working with special needs children. And he's always had an interest in film and especially music. He's mm-hmm. he's always had an ear for music. It felt like a natural progression of what he wanted to do next. Like he did the nine to five thing. He wanted to fulfill the creative side of himself. And that's when he got into directing, mainly music videos and then shorts and docs. I didn't know Chris for very long, but I connected with him so instantly because he helped me discover that what you do does not have to be your identity. You can be good at what you do. You can be successful. It doesn't mean you will be happy. And I remember driving home after Chris's funeral. Chris was such a, a, a wonderful, loving person. And I expected this his, his funeral to be incredibly sad and incredibly morose. And, and it was, but there was a, a real sense of pride for him that all these people who knew him were proud to know him and were proud of what he accomplished. And right. I, I remember like talking to his dad and his dad was like very proud of... Mm-hmm all he achieved in in a short time. And I remember I got in the car afterwards. I'm wearing like a tight mm-hmm. suit. I have to return mm-hmm. back to our studio because I have to watch like an X-Men screening for an upcoming guest. Right. My boss at the time chastated me in front of a bunch of people on email for like a technical mistake, which like I take, oh. it's my accountability because it had to get done on my watch, but like wasn't like a personal issue. And I'm driving home to watch this shitty X-Men movie and I'm like, fuck this. If I was to pass today, I think everyone would talk about the potential I was going to have in the years to come. Right. And in a short period of time, Chris accomplished a beautiful life. It was cut off way too soon. Yeah. But he, he was, had a very fulfilling life. And it was in that moment. I was like, I'm not, I'm leaving Los Angeles. This is not for me. It's a fine job to, be a celebrity associate producer and a lot of people are good at it but this is so hollow to me and it's time to move on and and that yeah. to me is is a gift that changed my life and made me better for it and th- that is the power of who he was as a person I, i'm curious because his loss even to me for someone who didn't know him well was was really debilitating and and hard to except I'm wondering, after he passed, what gave you strength? I know you, so you might say I might not have strength, but you were one of the strongest people I know. Where do you find that inspiration now? And what makes you keep going even when things are very hard? I mean, one, thank you. But I will say I do not feel strong. To be able to move after something like that, I didn't just lose like a buddy, a pal, you know, I lost my best friend. I lost my partner. We wrote together. He was my writing partner, but also I lost my life partner. His mom was such a guiding light for me because she also lost someone. She understood that 
pain at the level that I was feeling. We both lost a future. This is the person that I was supposed to spend the rest of my life with. That's so corny, but like to work with, to to struggle with, to love and, and all of these things. And for her, it's, she lost what would have been her grandchildren and the future that she would have with him. She was such a big part of me being able to move again because in the beginning it was so debilitating I didn't know how to move um because he meant sorry he meant everything like he was everything to me just like how he gave you like that not fearlessness, but like his trailblazing, his lack of fear in taking chances and living a full life. That's contagious. And it comes from a very grounded perspective. He was not, you know, we lived in Los Angeles, a flashy like room talker and smoozer. Like he was the most authentic person you, you would come across, but still could connect with you and your experience and understand how to move forward and to build upon that. And I think that that is such a rare way to empower people because he could empathize with you first before motivating you. Exactly. Like he did it for every single person that Mm -hmm. he knew in his life. Like you walk out of there feeling better about yourself and, and about how you can take whatever you have and turn it into something better. I remember he would literally take phone calls at two in the morning. We're like in bed asleep and a friend would call and he would go and speak to them and like help them with whatever was wrong. He had a lens and a scope so wide and all he wanted to do was help people. Like ultimately that's all he wanted. It's part of his legacy of what he wanted to do it wasn't until three months ago like that I finally broke through prior to that it was just so much mourning it was so much grief not to say that grief isn't still here but it's different it's a different kind of grieving and it's now trying to figure out how do I continue his legacy and the Mm -hmm. stories that we both wanted to tell the things that he wanted to do that we wanted to do. How can I keep that going? When you're grieving, everyone wants to come to your aid and support you. No one comes towards you with bad intentions. However, people can inadvertently be less helpful than they mean to. I don't think we treat grief the proper way. Like it's something we need to tend to not ignore. And so I'm wondering during all of this, What are some of the most hurtful and offensive things people have inadvertently said to you while you were grieving? I remember at his wake, this is literally seven days after he passed. Again, all of this is good intentions. Like, I get it. One of his friends, she had experienced something similar in the way that she lost her boyfriend when they were 18. And I remember this girl coming out after me. And she hugs me. And I remember just sobbing into her arms. And the thing that she whispered to me was, you're going to find love again. I know it seems impossible, but you're going to find love again. I know. 
this is seven days after he passed. Maybe that's comforting for other people, but for me, all I want is my person back. Yeah. All I want is Chris back. Like, I don't want another person. He's not a person that was just occupying a space in my life that I can just replace. Mm-hmm. He is a person that I love and I still till this day don't think that I will ever find anyone like him or even close. I just remember sobbing so hard because you're missing the point. <laughs> Chris is so special. <laughs> and it's like an incredibly offensive thing to say. The last thing you're thinking about is dating. You also wouldn't right. say that like if a parent died, you'd be like, oh, you'll you'll find a, another parent one day. Right. I know everyone's grieving and I know no one knows what to say, but that is still the rhetoric. I get it. People are like, you're young. You, you still have a full life ahead of you. But like when something this traumatic and this horrible happens, it uproots your whole life. You don't know if tomorrow is going to happen. I know it seems dark and bleak, but that's the reality of it. And I think I'm very, very fortunate in terms of having the resources. I was able to go into therapy intensively. I also had a great community that was there for me. Like his parents who are grieving themselves were there for me every day. And like, we kind of leaned on each other. I had amazing friends like you who just checked up on me and like made sure that I was okay. And like, they just knew how much he meant to me and how this isn't something to just get over. It's not a flu. It's not a cold. Like you don't just get over it. Having gone through this intense, hard experience, the next time you find yourself on the other side, comforting someone who's grieving what would you say to them? There's not much to say, to be honest. Something that I found helpful was just being there to listen to the person. When people let me go on a tangent, they're not looking at me sideways and they're not like, here she goes again, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, being there to just listen is huge. Also, something that my therapist really helped me understand was During that time, like, things get really bleak, and I don't know how to continue, and I don't have much hope for myself. She told me, like, let other people hold the hope for you. Let other people help you in terms of helping you get back up and just move, not forward or anything like that, just to move. Just being there for the person when they ask, or sometimes they don't ask. Like for me, it it makes me very uncomfortable to ask. Yeah, it's it's hard to ask for support. You don't know how the reaction is. Right, and you don't want to be a burden to anyone either. It's already awful enough where the person that you would have leaned on in moments like this, they're not here. It's that absence. For me, it's the everyday shit. I want to tell him I cracked the meatball recipe. Like, (laughs) you know, like I finally got it right. You would love this. And like, instead of going to him, I don't have a person to turn to. I I will say, as I tell you 
all the time. I will always be your champion. And to the point about Chris's legacy, I think you do that. I think it doesn't seem as grand of a gesture when you're when you're grieving and and every day seems small but i think you do and even something like this where we talk about him lets other people know about him his work and his influence and that lives on and when you are getting stronger and when the world returns to a bit of normalcy i'm sure he will be influencing your projects as you make bigger and bigger things and to to end on i think a fun story of carrying on chris's legacy you have that tattoo on your finger of Chris's oh, yeah. signature. So, so you and I are at Brunt's. Yeah. You had just come back from a work trip in London. You show me your ring finger and you got this very beautiful tattoo of Chris's signature. And you you look at me and you go, I'm afraid I might have gotten the wrong signature. We're like, what? So what you do, you pull out a notebook. It's a scrap notebook. A scrap notebook. <laughs> and, and you two had been, he was writing a signature down and you were copying yeah. it. And so your fear was that you accidentally got you doing his signature on his finger, which one, I think that's a great analogy for carrying on his legacy that you will write his his story continuing on. Oh, wow. Good job. However, I, after extensive handwriting analysis, I really do believe that was his his signature. It's so dumb. Like, we were having a bored day and... He was writing like a grocery list down and somehow we got into let me forge your signature. (laughs) He and I spent maybe half an hour where he tried forging my signature and I tried forging his and the page is like just covered in both our names. I never thought anything of that. This guy had tattooed Chris's first tattoo and I went to him and was like, I want this. His mom was with me. And I thought it would be nice to do a thing where I included his mom. And so I let her pick the signature off of that page. And she picked this one. And I was like, yeah, great. This is his signature. After I got it done, two days later, I woke up in a panic and was like, holy shit, I don't think that's his signature. I think that's (laughs) that's me forging his signature. The jury's still out. I don't know. I really think it's his signature. I mean, I really hope. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and telling this story. I know it's not easy for you to talk about, and I'm very grateful and very proud of you that you did. Chris's death and his legacy left a huge impact on me. The night he passed away, I wrote this down as a stream of conscious journal entry. I write all this down, not as a morose awakening, but to remind myself not to take life for granted and not to take life so seriously. It can be taken from us and our loved ones so suddenly. It's important to take time for yourself, take a step back and look at the world at large. See the people in your life through the lens of why you love them. Shake off the hardships in your life because they aren't who you are, but how you'll grow. A smile, eye contact, an extra question in an elevator can go a long way to make someone else happy. It's not always easy, and sometimes it's okay to feel bad or sorry for yourself. But in the end, we are nothing in life if we are not useful to others. And if we don't share and feel the love we have, we become empty. Thank you again to Winnie for sharing her story this week. And thank you so much to you, the audience, for taking your time to listen about my friend Chris. 
next week on Out of Love. We're talking twins. We're seeing double. Come back next Tuesday for Twin Love. If you have a story you'd like to share, please email us at outofloveshow at gmail.com. Please subscribe to and review our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Out of Love is a production of We Will Media and is recorded in between Lawrence Ave and Franklin Ave. It is hosted and produced by me, Dan Casarella. The show is mixed by Jay Katz, our engineer. Aaron Bradley is our art director. The opening theme is Acolyte, and the closing theme is Toronto Muck, both written and performed by Slaughter Beach Talk. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Stay lovely. <laughs>